It's no wonder why the 99% movement dovetailed with the Tea Party movement. Both of them are upset about the same thing. They've keyed on this, this issue where the resources of our community, of our public, have now been taken away by the, the political system without any redress for the citizens who create it. Welcome, everyone, to The Boss Lady Speaks. I'm your host, Johanna Sawalha, a.k.a. Coach Joe. And with me today, I have Ron Nirenberg, who is the mayor of San Antonio, second term. I'm excited to have you. I'm super excited to have you. And I am looking forward to having a conversation with you today about some world-changing ideas that frankly, you have in common with a lot of the world. The truth is, is we're all somewhat following the same trends. I'm headquartered in Stockholm and Greta Thunberg sits 10 minutes from me. I've told you this, but everybody's involved, right? Everybody's involved in where this world is going in the same issues. And we will talk climate today. So I welcome you from the bottom of my heart. And I just want to start by asking you just in general, you just, well, maybe not just, but almost just ended your second term. And tell me some some about your initiatives right now. Like what are your focus points? Thank you very much uh, for having me, Joe. It's great to see you. I, I appreciate the fact that you see San Antonio, which is a city in the middle of South Texas as part of the world conversation, because that certainly is our viewpoint as well. So my agenda is really the community's agenda because we 10 years ago got together as a community and had thousands of people descend upon downtown San Antonio Mm -hmm. to talk about what we wanted to do within the next 10 years to make San Antonio a better place. And here we are 10 years later. Uh, And the work that we're doing is largely to accommodate the challenges of a changing reality worldwide. And I say that for a number of reasons. One, we know that the uh, world population, particularly here in Texas, is urbanizing. So people are flocking to cities, which is stressing infrastructure and natural resources and, 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 and basically putting people very close together in small quarters. And we have to figure out how we're going to accommodate that kind of urban growth. The second thing I would say is that we're also increasingly part of a world conversation with regard to how we care for the larger climate, the larger globe, because we know that, you know, for instance, the air that we breathe doesn't just sit over San Antonio. It it comes from all corners. And so how we handle the more systems wide changes that we're dealing with, with regard to how we produce energy, how we move people around our communities, how we house our citizens, increasingly has to do with a conversation that is taking place in in cities around the world. So um, I've been working on several big initiatives. One of them is uh, that started first was how we make sure that we have affordable housing in our community so that every resident in our community can afford to live under a roof safely. and dignity. We're also working towards reforming our transportation system, which for the last century has really revolved around single occupancy, high emission vehicles, mm-hmm. which is highly inefficient, especially when you have yeah. rapid urbanization. 
We are also working towards our climate goals, which we'll talk about, which have, you know, not just global ramifications, but specific, real and exponential impacts here locally with regard to how we deal with things like heat waves and flooding events and things like that. Uh, And then I would say we're also working to disrupt poverty. One of the other challenges that we're seeing worldwide is that an increasing number of uh, residents all over the world, no matter where, mm. are living uh, below, uh, much below standards of the people that are really close nearby. The mm. poverty levels in, in the world's communities are increasing exponentially because the gap of socioeconomic equity and, and wealth is growing ever wider. So we've been working to disrupt poverty. Give me some ideas about how, what are some of your actual tangible yeah. you know, to-dos or plans for that? Yeah, so it actually goes back to the three things that I talked about, um, making sure that we are accommodating the growth in terms of the distribution of natural resources, making sure that people can afford a place to live because the first and most burdensome cost for a family is the roof over their heads. Uh, Also, next to that is uh, ensuring that everyone has a safe and affordable and efficient way to move around from school to home, work, and so forth. Um, Then we're talking about uh, two very important elements that that typically local governments don't have too much uh, authority over, but we're actually finding ways that we can impact it. One is education and workforce development. How do we make sure that young people are equipped with the skills they need and the education they need Mm -hmm. to proceed through the education system and finally graduate, but also acquire Mm -hmm. the skills necessary to compete for these jobs that are coming in that are much more high tech and, you know, advanced than, you know, they even were 10 years ago. And then the final thing I would say is healthcare. It's not a local government um, task, but frankly, our state in Texas and the greater United States has left us behind. They have not taken care of one of their responsibilities to make sure that people have adequate, affordable health care. And so we have been mm-hmm. working at as a local community as how can we impact that? Where, what is our role mm-hmm. in it? So we're looking at and have executed different policies and programs. One of them is to provide care centers for indigent residents who don't have access to health, you know, health insurance, things like that, and finding different ways that we can make sure that families don't lose their means of creating income, their jobs, uh, simply because a child or, or someone in their family goes, goes ill. There's care available yeah. in the most dire circumstances. Data shows us that we've never had it better. There's actually less starvation in the world there's ever been, and there's more access to education, and there's we have more nature than we've ever had. There are many things that, from a life quality standpoint, we're doing. Humanity is doing the best it's ever done. However, yeah. however, the the disparities have right. never been larger. So that the ultra wealthy are ultra wealthy, right? And, and, and the poor are so poor. And then the other point that I want to make it that I want to ask you about is I think we, we, we have this shock phenomenon about the migration, right? In mm-hmm. Europe, like the flooding, you know, into Italy from Northern Africa or the Central America and Mexico coming right. to Southern, you know, the United States. People have always migrated. Always in the yeah. entire history of humanity. Sure. So why are we so shocked? Instead of like trying to block them and build walls and, and right. Yeah. And then I am a New Yorker, right? New Yorkers are built on immigrants. 
Texas, right? Like, come on. Like, let me give my my perspective on the on the last part about the refugee crisis, yeah. which is all over. Yeah, political refugees, economic refugees, climate refugees, refugees of all kind, war. Whenever we've seen great surges in migration, we've always seen a political backlash in every era. And so um, I believe it is the task of a civilized society to push back on that and also address the issues that are causing people to flee where they're coming from. A lot of times and most of the times it's it's political in nature, but we're seeing climate refugees, which have become a, a political issue because governments are failing to address the reason why people are having to flock away from where they live. You'll have to rewind the question just a second. I'm trying to remember. No, yeah. Well, yeah. One was the thing about, like we said, like the fact that people have always moved, right? And we're, and yeah. we're now we're now so shocked uh, about it. Yeah. And and then the disparity that yes, oh, yes. humanity has never had it better, but right. the gaps are. That's the trouble. Immense. That's the trouble with statistics. Um, you can mm. make them tell the story you want to tell. And so if we look on aggregate, for instance, in the mm. city of San Antonio, mm. our economy is on fire. We have the lowest unemployment rate we've ever had. We've been su- around 3% for, you know, the better part of two years. It's And we have businesses that are creating jobs. Things are great here. But we also were not surprised to learn after decades of simply not addressing it that San Antonio also has a 22% poverty rate. How is that possible? Well, if you look at the disaggregated data, you look under the cover, what you're finding is exactly as you're describing. The wealth gap is growing wider or has grown wider. You have many families who are working two and three jobs simply because they can't afford the transportation costs to get to school, so they're having to work an extra job. And frankly, our wages have not kept pace with the cost of living. So you have people who are underemployed, high rates of underemployment, which stresses families and also contributes to a cycle of poverty. So you're seeing this worldwide. In income uh, disparity, socioeconomic inequity has grown to the point where I've, I've called it a new Gilded Age. The concentration of wealth in the top 0.0001% has grown to a, a point where it's at the breaking point. And, you know, and, and this is the, the, the problem with modern uh, where our political discourse is because you know, there's economic systems uh, in textbooks, and many people will say, well, when the top income brackets concentrate wealth, they're able to distribute it to the other income brackets, and everyone benefits. They're the job creators and so on and so forth. That would be yeah. great if it was actually happening. It's not happening. Yeah. You're seeing right. automation. You're seeing advanced technology replace people who used to be working jobs. At the same time, you're seeing wealth concentrated in the hands of, of people who hand it down through generations who actually have that wealth sitting in banks, doing nothing, not contributing to the economy, but simply advancing the level of wealth for success, successive generations. It's reached a breaking point. And in my opinion, this is a lot of what you're seeing worldwide when it comes to um, – you know, political crises and uprisings, democratic uprisings. It's no wonder why the 99% movement dovetailed with the Tea Party movement. Both of them are upset about the same thing. They've keyed on this, this issue where the resources of our community, of our public, have now been taken away by the, the political system without any redress for the citizens who create it. And if you had, Ron, if you had a wish that could come true, 
Mm-hmm. Like, let's say here, you know, here's a fairy, like here comes some fairy dust. Right? What would be happening right now with this gap? Uh, if we were able to correct it? Yeah. Yeah. If we were able to correct it, you, you would see, I think, and it's not dramatic changes that, that would need to occur uh, for some dramatic um, impacts. Mm-hmm. Quite simply, um, you know, the ability or, or, or the deployment of wealth that's just sitting outside of the economy um, collecting interest. If some of that mm-hmm. money were actually deployed into the economy to create jobs or create commercial activity um, mm-hmm. or simply help because philanthro- right. philanthropy is also waning in the next generation. Right. If it was able to do some of that, you would see pretty dramatic changes. For instance, we have enough money sitting in banks that is doing nothing that we could correct our climate or we could reach our climate goals, you know, next year in terms of changing our, the way we produce electricity, changing the way we drive and, and transport people. We have enough wealth that is doing nothing to actually address that this year. Uh, but it's not uh, because it's just accumulating in smaller and smaller group of people as time goes on. So what would be the, the the motivator? What would be the motivator for those that sit on, on let's call it trapped money, right? that, that could move and help? What would be the motivator for, for, for those people? Changing hearts and minds is always uh, the most important thing. I think that you are starting to see it happen. You know, the world is on fire. We, we hear from young people all the time. I just came from uh, this fall from C40 where there were young people and, and mayors and scientists and, you know, average citizens from all over, all over the world coming together to talk about what does the climate crisis look like in your community. People have to see that. They have to believe in, in facts again. They have to believe in science again. And they have to be motivated to do something about it. And I think you're actually starting to see some of that happen. There's a lot of um, talk about our campaign system, and we have two billionaires running for political office. But look at what they're talking about. Michael Bloomberg, who has put his, his personal wealth into a presidential campaign, has been one of the leading voices in climate change, has been one of the leading voices in ending gun violence. So you're seeing things like that occur uh, among a, a peer group that is also on the other side, other people, not part of the solution yet. But but I think those things are beginning to change. If there was another world leader like that, or would it be Michael Bloomberg? Like, if there was another one that you could sit down with and mastermind this whole thing, who would it be? Oh wow! Well, I I, I know Michael Bloomberg. Uh, I admire his work very much. See, I, I think the solutions to our, our global challenges are no longer being found in the people who are in the uh, twilight of their careers. That's why I think I'm, I'm so energized and proud to see all the young people leading our movements mm-hmm. on you know, climate adaptation and cha- uh, climate action. Um, they're leading the movement. The, the only reason why we're talking about universal background checks today is because we have young people marching the streets still two years after their school was shot up. Um, young people are forcing the change that they're tired uh, that the political establishment has not brought. And so my, my time in terms of you know, getting motivated and really hearing where should we be in 10 years is increasingly spent with, with people who are barely of voting age, including my son, who's 11. 
Well, great. That, that, that's who, who I'll find for you then, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll sit down with those minds, right? The fresh I would love minds, to do that. The, uh, the unpolluted minds, right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. There are many great leaders, and, and one of our problems is that the lack of action by politics writ large has produced a level of distrust for all of it and for all political leaders. But don't get me wrong. There are many great leaders within our communities, uh, within our countries, and they should be empowered to create change. And and some of them are trying against the grain. Um, But what I try to inspire among young people I visit with is don't paint them all with the same brush. If we're going to make change in America, it's going to be within our democracy. And we've got to believe there are good people left who are running for office, who are winning office and who can make change. And we have to find those people and empower them. I so agree. I love the fact that the neighboring country, Finland, took on a 34-year-old as, as yeah. their prime minister, because they, you know, they're progressive in many ways, as, especially in education, as you know, they have a, a very, very successful primary education system, Finland. And now they have this 34 year old PM that in some camps get ridiculed for her age, but we should really celebrate because she's obviously extremely intelligent and capable and youth is on her side. She really can see things from a different perspective. So I celebrate that as well. I, you know, the future lies with, with the younger people and we have to get underneath them. Is there anything you want to, you want to say as we, as we wrap today, Mayor Ron? Oh gosh, we already, this flew by we too are. fast. Um, yes. No, I, you know, it's easy to turn on the, the TV and get depressed about the world order and what's happening in our communities locally and uh, worldwide. But, You know, I do believe you're starting to see um, great changes in our communities for the better. And we do have to go through a period of molting and discomfort. And and I think that's what you're seeing. It's a new youth movement. And whenever we've gone through these, we've always ended up in a better place, more compassionate, more uh, reflective policy that benefits uh, generations after. So I'm I'm hopeful that, that we're going through a process that's entirely necessary, but we'll be better for it. I think you're right, Ron. I think I think when the pendulum swings, it will be it'll swing towards somewhere really great, really great, and that's what we'll root for. Thank you so much, Mayor Ron. Thank you for all your initiatives. Thank you for all the great work you do, and thank you for being on the Boss Lady Speaks. Great to see you, Joe. If you liked this episode of the Boss Lady Speaks, and if it helped you. Make sure to subscribe to get more episodes like these and do share them. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.